Welcome back to another episode, the final episode of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast for the year 2018, part of the Talent 409 Network, where listeners can learn about leadership and other related qualities from today's most successful business people, coaches, and athletes. At Talent 409, we help athletes discover their talent altitude through workshops and seminars while increasing their opportunities for success on and off the field. In addition to athletes, we work with coaches and administrators to enhance their education on how they can positively impact the performance of their teams and programs. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all at Talent409, and connect with me on Twitter, at ColinTalent409. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you have time, please take a minute and give it a five-star rating and review. Help us grow and keep the podcast content strong. These ratings really do help others find the show and consume the content, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this as well as being a loyal listener to the pod. Before we announce the winner of the Brooks jacket for that contest provided by Brooks Running and Jake Champagne, I want to take a minute and highlight another rating and review. This one comes from R.M. Bantel. I imagine that's Rachel Bantelman, who actually is today's guest on the pod. So congrats to Rachel for being in the right order to get announced with her highlight for her rating and review on the same episode that she's a guest. But her review says, awesome podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to Colin's podcast. He always strums up a super interesting conversation with each person he hosts. It's very insightful to listen to people share their very real and raw experiences as leaders. Well, thank you, Rachel, and I hope everybody is going to be interested in our interesting conversation that I had with you, as it was very insightful to listen to. And now, can I get a drum roll, please? For the winner of the Brooks jacket provided by Brooks Running and Jake Champagne, we have T.D. Madigan. T.D. Madigan wrote, Inspirational, truly an inspirational and entertaining podcast. Would recommend to anyone looking for a little direction on how hard work and determination can truly lead to a dynamic leader. Give the pot a listen. You won't be disappointed. Thanks, T.D. Madigan. That was a great review. Thanks for the five-star rating, and congratulations for winning the jacket. We'll get you all set up with the details so that you can receive that and keep warm for the winter. Our guest on the podcast today is the aforementioned Rachel Bantelman. Rachel is a former two-sport college athlete who participated in basketball and swimming at University of Buffalo and St. Bonaventure. We got into a really great conversation, and I think you're going to enjoy it just as much as I did. But first, let's sit back, relax, get comfortable. It's the most wonderful time of year, and it's time for the number one Christmas song. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. Today, I have Rachel Bantelman on with me. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm excited to have you, too, especially because I think... And I'll have to fact check this, but I'm pretty sure that you are, at least from the female perspective, the most accomplished former athlete that I've had on the show. So that's really cool for me. And I think it's going to be something really special for the guests as well. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) 
I'm over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'll try not to uh, compliment you too much then throughout the show, but I did want to start with that point. I know uh, you played multiple sports through college, competed at the collegiate level, and while you didn't play the two sports at the same time, that's still a really great accomplishment, and I'd love to get your thoughts as to you know why you went about it that way. I mean, you did one sport for your undergrad, you did another sport for your graduate degree. What was the thought process behind that? How did that happen? Give us some insight into that experience. Well, I think that it was equal parts planned, equal parts, a little bit of madness. <laughs> Honestly, so I obviously played basketball and I swam growing up. And I would say that basketball was my one true love, athletically for sure. It's just a more fun sport in my opinion. Swimming is a phenomenal sport. It's a sport that can be life lifelong, um, regardless of any injuries you may uh, rack up in your collegiate career or your high school career. So I always, I've always loved that about swimming. But basketball was definitely what I enjoyed the most. Uh, so when I came time to make a decision of which sport I wanted to pursue collegiately, uh, it was it was a very easy decision. It was basketball. So I played basketball for three years at UB. And to be honest, I never really thought about swimming very much again. I It's funny because in college, I was friends with a ton of swimmers while I was playing basketball. But I never was envious of them, that's for sure, because swimming in college, I mean, any, of course, any college sport is, you know, a, a freaking grind. Right. Um, but swimming in particular, I would say is an absolute grind. I mean, any sport where you have to hold your breath, I think, you know, is super tough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I played for three years and in the summer going into my freshman year, we had to report to uh, a campus the day actually after I graduated high school. So I graduated on a Sunday and I had class workouts and what would be considered like our summer practice the following Monday. So I had to move in at about 11 p.m. on Sunday night. And then I started college the next morning. And in that summer, I dislocated my ankle. And to be honest, I never really truly recovered from that. So my next three years playing basketball, I mean, I had three more surgeries on that ankle and several cortisone shots. Um, I also had a pretty bad concussion. So my basketball career was definitely plagued by injuries. So I had academically put myself in a position to be able to finish after three years. And before I decided to be done playing basketball, I considered just going for a dual degree my fourth year. So I kind of set myself up for that. But by the time the season was over, I had to have another surgery and I was ready to kind of hang up my basketball shoes. Um, And in this process, I had been recruited, not super heavily, but moderately enough uh, to play, to also swim in college. Um, And my high school swim coach actually left my junior year to coach at St. Bonaventure University. So over the, probably my, uh, over the course of what was considered my senior season also would have been my junior season of basketball. I kept in contact with him and I kind of told him what my idea was and then that I wasn't super sure, but if he would be willing to take me on the team, I would be willing to join. So that following summer, I enrolled in grad school at St. Bonaventure and I joined the swim team. So it was kind of 
fueled by an obviously fantastic connection because he kind of knew me as an athlete and he trusted me. Uh, he was my coach for several years in high school. And I mean, I he kind of just took, gave me a shot. And I guess I was lucky enough that I was able to rise to the occasion. And since it was swimming, my ankle wasn't super affected. So I was able to do that for two years during my master's because I could use my fifth year of eligibility. Wow. That's an awesome story. And it's super interesting to me. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this. When we talk about multiple sport athletes, a lot of times we're talking about you know someone like Kyler Murray, for example, who just won the Heisman Trophy with Oklahoma. He's got a contract to play Major League Baseball for the Oakland Athletics. So in this situation with him and with some of the multi-sport athletes of the past, they've continued to play the multiple sports throughout you know the, the course of their career and everything. Whereas you, I'm assuming, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you were competitively swimming while you were playing basketball at UB. It was one of those things where it, it almost seems like you stopped the competitive aspect of it. Maybe you did a little bit of training here and there, but you stopped the competitive aspect in high school. And then all of a sudden, fast forward four years later, and boom, you're right back into the action again. And I'm just really interested to hear how that transition was for you. Like, how what was that like? Was it shocking in any way? Did you surprise yourself that you were either more prepared or less prepared to get back into it? Tell us a little more about that. I mean... It was a process, to say the absolute least, and not even in a process uh, in the sense of physically, but I mean, mentally and emotionally, it was one of the toughest things I've ever had to do because I think, you know, once you hit the age of, you know, you're out of your 20s, you don't bounce back like you did Mm -hmm. um, from season to season when you were 14, 15, 16. So when I kind of thought up this uh, whole big grand scheme I had of swimming, during grad school, the only thing I has based that off of was, you know, my transition from basketball season over the summer into swim season in high school. And yeah, I had a couple of tough days. I was sore, but I don't really think that anything in life could have prepared me for how much of a grind it was to go from playing basketball collegiately for three years to swimming the following year for the fourth year. Um, I think everybody on the team including my coach, Seth, was just as confused as I was, as what the hell I was doing there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you know what? It took a ton of work that, I mean, I just, I think that since I committed to doing it, being like the person that I am, which I think you kind of know a little bit, it would have been more embarrassing for me to be like, you know, this is too hard. I got to stop. But that crossed my mind every single day, for sure, for at least the first two months because I mean the kind of shape you have to get in to be a swimmer at that level is not a kind of shape you can even get in yourself I mean I would have had to hire a trainer Mm -hmm. quite literally to get me in any sort of ready and I mean I remember that summer I had just got back and I was working out every day and running every day but I didn't swim I hadn't swam at all since I, my state meet my senior year of high school. And if I had swim, it was like a basketball practice where we did some stuff in the pool conditioning wise, but that was like running in the water. That wasn't, you know, swimming laps. 
So yeah, I mean, I kind of just hopped back in and put my head down and did what I had to do and, you know, tried to cry in private. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. When, when you finished up then, uh, that last year with swimming, did you still feel like it was the right decision? Did you feel maybe that you got some closure and that you were satisfied with your athletic career, knowing that, you know, more than likely you were probably done competing at the, at the highest levels. Um, and you would have to transition into quote unquote life after sports. What was, what was that process like for you? And what were your thoughts around that moment? Well, I don't really think that I was, I don't know. I didn't really do a lot of like reflecting at that time. And even like when I made the decision to go into swimming, I didn't really, I'm just kind of a impulsive person. And when I make my mind up, my mind is absolutely made up and it's very hard to change that. And so kind of similar to when I made the decision to be done with basketball, I never really like reflected a ton or thought a lot about it because in my mind that chapter was closed. You know, I needed to kind of have a clean break to be able to move on because I mean, basketball was like, you know, one of my, one of the loves of my life for sure. So it was very difficult, but I think the challenge of swimming allowed me to kind of come to terms with basketball being done because I always love a challenge and it was absolutely the most challenging thing I think I like physically I think I will ever do so I think that that really helped but then honestly when swimming was over I wasn't I struggled a little bit that summer and I remember I wasn't super motivated to work out I mean I I obviously still worked out but I didn't work out anywhere near the caliber I did when I was swimming in college or even playing basketball, part because my body hurt, but also part because you identify so heavily with the sport that you're in and the team that you're around that it's really hard when that's done with, especially when you don't really think about it because you're just, you're so deep in the daily grind that there's, you don't, you don't think about the fact, oh my God, my career is going to be over next week, you know, at our A-10 swimming championship. So, yeah, I mean, I would say that my transition, the only thing that I could say probably helped it was time and finding something professionally that I enjoyed and finding, you know, some sort of working out that I could do and that, you know, I felt fulfillment from, which took me a long time, really, because, I mean, as a former college athlete, I'm sure there's a thousand people just like me that could say the same thing. It's super difficult to work out by yourself when you have, I mean, I don't know if I had ever worked out by myself post like pre-college. I mean, of course I like shot in the gym and I maybe lifted a little by myself, but never anything consistently. Like besides like basketball and shooting, I would of course shoot by myself all the time when I was in college and like, but that's not a true workout. So I think that, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think my transition was helped the most by time and kind of figuring out what my next step was going to be, not necessarily competitively, but just in life and like what I was going to be able to identify with. That's, that's awesome. I don't want to get too far ahead just yet. We'll, we'll get to this in a little while, but I want to go back to the physicality of playing sports 
and having multiple surgeries, having to deal with on top of that, the bumps and bruises of just, you know, playing competitively. And a lot of times when people from the outside see athletes and they think about the physical aspect of competition, they just see the really cool things. They see, you know, people lifting extreme amounts of weight and uh, Saquon Barkley jumping over players that are standing still. And, you know, these, these feats of strength that just make you go, wow, but they never think of the physicality and how much that beats you up both physically, your body, you only get one of them. And probably mentally too, when you're thinking, how am I going to come back from this? This is, you know, multiple times now. And there had to be a lot of adversity, you know, that you had to overcome. Were there people that helped you through that? Were, was there a, a thought process that you had to go through to make yourself get back to as close to 100% as you could, uh, you know, given some of the setbacks that you had throughout your collegiate career. Talk to us about that adversity and overcoming it. I mean, I think injury is one of the most unfortunate things that is just inevitable in sports because nobody prepares you to deal with an injury. It's something you deal with when it happens, right? I mean, you're mm -hmm. never, your parents are never like, well, like, let's prepare you for if you tear an ACL or if you sprain an ankle and or if you break this bone or that bone. So it, and it's not something that I feel like is talked about a lot. It's not that it's taboo, but I mean, you see things like I know LeBron gets a lot of uh, crap for this in the NBA. Um, like if he has a pulled hamstring or, you know, some sort of like a small injury and then they'll compare it to, you know, Michael Jordan's flu game. To be honest, in a situation like that, I won't say I have more respect for LeBron than Jordan, but I, I have a ton of respect for a player who is able to listen to their body. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, like you said, you only get one body. And there's so many intricacies that, like, yes, medicine is fantastic, but there's still so many intricacies of the human body that there's not anything that's going to help you with. And maybe it's going to help you for that game or that series, but, you know, five, ten years down the road, there's not going to be much that's going to be able to help you. So I think one thing that was helpful for me, honestly, were my trainer in college. <laughs> I spent so much damn time with her. Um, <laughs> I had to literally do rehab every single day, my entire career, off season, Sundays, every single day, because I essentially came in injured. I mean, I injured myself going into my freshman year and it never really I don't know whether it was, a, I mean, my surgery was not performed by somebody who specialized in sports medicine. So I think that that was a big downfall for me, but it just never, I was never at a hundred percent ever after that injury. And I think my, my trainer was extremely helpful because I, I mean, I had to spend at least an hour with her every single day, but honestly, my parents were a huge support because they didn't, you know, take no for an answer. I mean, I remember, and it's tough for athletic trainers in college. I remember going into them and my ankle was partially dislocated at this point And they were saying it was tendonitis. And I remember calling my mom crying and I was like, mom, this is something not right. My ankle's locking up. Like, I don't know what's happening, but it's definitely not tendonitis. And my mom called and called and called till she could find a doctor that would take me in Buffalo so I could get a second opinion. And they always tried to make sure that you know, my doctors had the best interest and it wasn't just about my athletic career. So that was always, you know, 
good to have in your corner because a lot of times people just want you to be able to play, but mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to be around when you're, you know, 25, 30 and you can't run anymore or people are suggesting crazy things. Like a doctor suggested to me that I would be a great candidate for an ankle replacement when I'm 30. Like those people that are suggesting you get a cortisone shot and push through, they're not going to be there in five years when you need an ankle replacement. <laughs> like, so I don't know. I would definitely say though, again, just putting my head down and getting through it and reminding myself that I only have two ankles and I'm going to need them and I'm going to want them later in life. And that, you know, it was ultimately for the better to be doing what I was doing in terms of my physical therapy, extra like ice baths or whatever it was to make me feel just even a little bit better, be able to get through that practice. Or for example, when I had to wear a boot around campus in the middle of winter for three months, because I would wear it during the day. So then I could practice because walking hurt. So that was what got me through. Like I just had to kind of put my head down and do it and be willing to try different things and keep going back to the doctors, even though I wasn't liking what I was hearing. But I guess my support system for sure is what helped me overcome all of that. I want to take a quick break and talk about one of our sponsors, Sweat with Stods, and their Hit the Gym program. The new program that's great for people who go to the gym but are looking for a plan to follow. Hit the Gym is one month of six workouts per week, three HIT workouts, and three strength workouts designed to help you build strength and sculpt your body. The program comes as a downloadable PDF with supplemental videos that demo each move so you don't have to be an expert to do it. I personally do workouts created by Sweat With Stods, and you can do these workouts too by going to sweatwithstods.com and clicking on Hit The Gym. My listeners can also get a discount by entering the promo code CCP. Instead of $40, this program is only $30. What can you do with $30 in 30 days? And now back to the pod. So given the experience that you ended up having in college, both with your academics and athletics and even throwing your social experience, now that you've been out a few years and you can look back and reflect, do you think that it was worth it to fight through the pain to get those different surgeries? Would you do the same thing again if you could go back in time and have the same type of injury come in that freshman year and know that what you would have to go through the next three years, would you do it again? I mean, I probably would say yes, just because it, I won't say it allowed me to swim, but I think that had I had, uh, you know, the basketball career I expected myself to have and wasn't kind of ridden with injury, I don't think I would have swam at all. And I think that that was something that has made me a much mentally stronger individual having swam. I think it made me physically stronger. I mean, I have some wonderful friends from my swim team. My swim coach and I are still super close. Not to mention I got my master's out of the whole deal. So, no, I don't think I would change anything. I mean, I think maybe, though, if I could go back and talk to myself, I would maybe have found a different doctor. And one that maybe specialized in 
sports related injuries versus um, just a typical surgeon, because I don't think that while I think he was a fine doctor, I don't think he was prepared to return me to playing division one sports in four months. Um, so I think I would have maybe found a different doctor, but I don't mm -hmm. think, I don't think I would have changed anything. What about if we have somebody listening to this podcast and they're in high school, they're in college, they're dealing with an injury and they're trying to decide what's next. And it might be an injury that's been reoccurring. It might be a pretty catastrophic injury, you know, not just a, a normal bump and bruise, but something pretty significant besides giving them the advice that you just went back and gave yourself to go see more, uh, a, a specialist, um, versus just a, a regular doctor. Is there any other advice that you might be able to say to them that can help them through this period or help them come to a decision that they're going to ultimately be happy with? Yeah, I think most importantly is to listen to your body. I mean, I feel like by the time I finished high school, I had just trained myself to just ignore everything and push through it and it'll get better with time. But there's so many preventative things you can do, which I mean, obviously in this case, they would have already had an injury, but there's so many more things you can do. There's so many alternative therapies. There's, there's so much more than I ever knew was out there, even though that was now we're talking like six, eight years ago there were still, there was still more out there than I was willing to look for, um, or willing to go through. And while of course I feel like money is always a factor with things and a lot of these things cost money, but you can still keep looking and keep considering other options. Not that like, if you have a torn ACL, um, some alternative therapy is not going to bring your ACL back, of course, but listen to your body and take the time that is necessary. I remember somebody mentioned to me, pretty aggressively too, that I should redshirt my freshman year because I had had this injury. But in my mind, there was nobody telling me what to do. Nobody was going to tell me to redshirt. And I, if I would have just taken more, a more appropriate amount of time to come back from my injury, I maybe wouldn't have had so many issues. So I would tell them that your recovery is something that should happen as your body tells you it's happening. Like you need, to, that's when you need to pay attention to your body. Yes leading up to an injury, but also after like you have to take your recovery very seriously and your physical therapy even more seriously. And you need to be willing to put the work in, in something like physical therapy or your exercises or your stretches, just like you need to be putting the work in on the basketball court or off the court or in the weight room. That's just as important. So I think that a lot of people want to rush through their physical therapy or, you know, take the easy way out with a cortisone shot, or obviously sometimes that's the only option you have, but look for other options and take your recovery seriously because I, I could have taken it more seriously. And I wish someone would have told me to do that. Like Tom Petty once saying, the waiting is the hardest part. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so we had uh, an awesome opportunity for those that don't know, uh, Rachel and I worked together in our past lives. And we had the awesome opportunity to go to her alma mater, uh, UB. This was what, probably three years ago now, maybe three, four years ago. I don't, I don't even remember. But when we were there, you took me you know, around campus. We were there for a recruiting fair and we had some time uh, to kill beforehand. So, you know, you're showing me all your favorite spots and, and everything. And then we get into the uh, athletics facility and we're walking through and 
I will tell you one of the things I was most impressed with, I guess is the best way to put this, was as soon as we got to that basketball wing and some of those former teammates of yours, your coach, your former coach, as soon as we got in front of those people, I mean, they just lit up. They were so happy to see you. Uh, you could tell you felt you know really comfortable and at ease and at home being there and everything. And we had you know a nice conversation with with your coach. We got to you know sit in her office, and that was a really cool moment for me as well. I think a lot of that probably had to do with the fact that you were probably a pretty good teammate during your time there. I mean, if you were a bad teammate, why would you go back, you know, in the first place? Like you would have been like, no, 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 we can't go, you know, see them today or, or whatever it was. So I'd, I'd love to hear about, you know, the, those experiences and, you know, why you think that people react in the way that they do when they see you. Do you think it was because, you know, you were being a good teammate and like, what were those attributes and what were those traits that you were giving off during your time there and some of the things that I'm sure you still do in your life. Yeah. So the coach that you got to meet was coach Jack and she was actually my second collegiate basketball coach. Uh, my first one was actually fired. Um, and then she ended up coaching at Fredonia university actually. And I think she's since moved on to maybe an assistant coach at Canisius. I want to say. Um, so you got to meet coach Jack. So she came in my and coached me for my last year. And I just, I really loved her. I really liked her style. Uh, she was very much so what you see is what you get. And if you, you know, work really hard and you can learn to understand her, you will enjoy your time with her very much. And she came in and she was, kind of like a hellraiser. She was ready to turn the program into something completely made by her. She wanted to change everything and make everything her way, which as I mean, I think probably every coach in the world would want to do. They want to come in and make things their own. And so, I mean, everything changed that year down to the different colored shirts we were allowed to wear at practice, the socks we had to wear. And I remember being so excited because I didn't really get along with my coach from my first two years. So I remember I was like, this is my second chance and I am going to take advantage of it. So her and I got along very, very well. I knew what she was all about. I knew it from the first day we met her. She just wanted you to work your ass off, make all of her sprints and practices, <laughs> no excuses. And she just really demanded excellence. And not that I could necessarily give excellence every day, but I think that I was willing to work hard and I never felt entitled because I mean, I had to fight for anything that I got in terms of playing time or whatever, because I mean, I was injured so frequently. So I think that my willingness to work really hard was something that she always respected no matter what. And I think if there's one thing that, and either of my college coaches would say it would be that I worked as hard as I possibly could. And I think that they just, they respected that because it was never something that was conditional for me. Like I could be having a really, really awful day. I could have just done poorly on an exam. I could have family stuff going on, but I was going to work hard. Um, so I think that that was something that they really respected. Plus, I mean, Buffalo, I wasn't necessarily what they would consider a local kid, but in terms of, college sports that's pretty local that's local enough so 
and I had been around the area uh, after I, or even when I was swimming in college, I would come up and watch games and I stayed very close with a lot of my teammates and the teammates that were still on the team after I had left. So I think that my presence was still a little felt because I was around, I came to games, my family would still come to games. Actually, my grandma still goes to all of the UB women's basketball games. So I think that, you know, maintaining that connection also helps. Like if I called Coach Jack and said, hey, Coach Jack, I'm in Buffalo. She'd be like, hey, Vandalin, come stop over if she was home, which knowing their schedule, she probably wouldn't be. But <laughs> I tried to pop in every once in a while. Actually, one of my teammates from college was just recruiting in Syracuse and she came over last night and she ended up staying for like five hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> she came over to say, Hey, and she ended up staying here until one o'clock last night. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I think it's just maintaining that. I, I don't want to say connection, but those relationships. And I think that while I don't, you know, maintain it on a daily or weekly even basis, sure. I do my best to. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing is the reason that you think that maybe you were a, a great teammate and that the qualities I think that you would look in for other teammates are people that lead by example, no matter what their situation is, whether they're dealing with injury, family issues and, and things like that. Not that we want to downplay any of those things, but just knowing that they're still trying to give 100% effort given whatever their circumstance are. And then the other thing is treating your team and your teammates and your coaches like they're a part of your extended family, which I'm sure I can relate to this. You can relate to this and any other athletes that are listening to this can relate to this. You spend a lot of time with your teams and your teammates and for them to be quote unquote considered extended family, I don't think it's too much of a stretch. So I think those are two really great qualities to point out uh, as well. And if I remember correctly, Coach Jack, she played basketball at Syracuse University, correct? Yep. Yeah. Sure did. Yeah. So big time taking all the what she learned uh, at Cuse and applying it to what she's doing now at UB. I want to dive further in. I think I knew that you had multiple coaches, but I forgot until you just brought that up. So I want to take a deeper dive into that and get your thoughts and perspective on what you saw as somebody who, I don't want to say they're a bad coach, uh, because as you know, coaching is a hard thing to do, uh, no matter how good you are at it, and no matter what talent you've been giving, it's still a hard thing to do. But if we could separate the qualities that you think make for a poor or least effective coach versus somebody like Coach Jack that you really connected with, what were some of the biggest differences that you saw uh, that you can uh, tell us about? I think, honestly, one of the biggest differences between my first college basketball coach and Coach Jack would definitely be a mutual respect. And not necessarily mutual respect, because I, th I think my first coach respected me, but she didn't necessarily always express that. Mm -hmm. And when you had conversations with Coach Jack, she's very realistic. She's very down to earth. And you felt like you were important. And not that, you know, Everybody needs to, you know, have their ego gassed up and feel like the most important person to ever live. No, but I mean, you want to feel welcomed and not necessarily special, but a part of something. And I think my first coach really struggled with people buying into her and her program because she hadn't bought into us. And I think that that's something 
even professionally, I always struggle with. If I don't feel a sense of mutual respect and even loyalty, I really struggle with that. Um, I struggle with connecting with not necessarily an individual, but a group or an organization where I don't feel that sense of, it's almost kind of like a sense of security, I guess, but I'm very much a hundred percent or nothing at all kind of person. And so I think that I could speak for a lot of my teammates at this time when I, with my previous coach or my first coach and my second coach, when I say the feeling of respect increased dramatically, which is hilarious because she probably at the end of the day wanted most of us gone because she wanted to bring in her own players, just like every coach did, but she never made that obvious to us. And we felt like we were her players, her team, and it can be very different with especially basketball coaches because all they care about is getting their own players in, having their team, executing their plays, people they handpicked. But that's never what it felt like with Coach Jack. It felt like, well, guys, here we all are, so let's make the best of this while we can, and like, let's do this thing. And I think that I really respected that about her, and I didn't feel that from my first coach. Yeah, so somebody who was straightforward and honest and really respected you made you want to reciprocate those feelings, it seems like, is basically how it went down. Yes, absolutely. And made you want to be better and be better for her, be better for her program and, you know, further buy in versus, okay, I'm going to come put my sneakers on 6 a.m. We're going to practice and then I'm going to take my sneakers off kind of mindset. Whereas with Coach Jack, it was like, I'm going to get there early. I'm going to do my practice. I'm going to shoot after. I'm going to go watch film with her in her office later that day. It was just a totally different much more bought in dynamic for me, for sure. And even, and for definitely a lot of our teammates. Yeah. I, I think that really goes to speak for the majority of people. And you mentioned, including in the business world, you're not even talking about just athletics, but it's a very simple concept. You know, just because you're in a position of authority doesn't mean that you can't connect with your players or with your employees, if you're in the corporate world, whatever it is, like you have to be, you have to have that human element and you have to have you, the people need to feel like they have some type of ownership in that bigger picture and what you're trying to do and what your goals are, because otherwise that's where the disconnect comes in. And like you said, you're just lacing up the shoes. You're not really doing anything outside of going through the motions. Whereas if you connect with somebody, then you're putting in that effort you are connecting with them. You're connecting with your other teammates. It just really builds this strong culture. And I think it's a point that's just missed by so many leaders in the business world, in athletics. And it's so funny because you can hear about it from firsthand experiences. You can read about it in articles and in books. And people just still try to be robotic with their leadership approach and not you know, make that human connection with everybody. So that's great to see that, you know, Coach Jack took that approach with you. And obviously, you know, like you said, she very well could have just wanted you all out, bringing her own group of girls that she's been recruiting and that she's close with and just, you know, totally clean house. But it seems like she's a pretty effective leader in the way that she was able to 
convey the message that she was looking to to go after and uh, get everybody on the same page for buy-in. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that you made a really good point by saying that there's so many examples of that aspect of a good leadership, but it's so funny how people just insist on being robotic and treating everything as a business. And while, of course, even in the professional world, yes, this is a business, but if you want it to be something more and you want people to, you know, put in hours and take time away from their family, whether it's athletically or professionally, it's something that you have to be willing to make them comfortable to do. Like you can't just expect that from someone, you know, you have to put people in a situation where you're reciprocating that kind of emotion and, uh, and that mutual respect I talked about and that loyalty. Otherwise, people aren't going to give that back to you because they're not comfortable. Yeah, definitely agree. I, I think the more of the human element that you can keep in a relationship between somebody of power. So if you are a coach, if you are in management, if you are an executive, the more human elements you can incorporate into your relationship with people who are underneath you, then the better that relationship is going to end up being because you're just going to get that. Like you said, it's going to be reciprocated. You're going to have mutual respect and that's good for everybody. That's what creates good cultures. And we all know about the bad ones. So, (laughs) (laughs) One more quick break. I want to talk about my second sponsor, Taylor Digital. Taylor Digital is a virtual design company that helps solopreneurs get established online with a cohesive image so they can feel more confident in their business. Taylor Digital offers branding, social media design, and Squarespace website design. My website, www.talent409.com, that was done by Taylor Digital. She's awesome. It's not going to look girly if you're a guy, don't worry about that. But if you are a girl and you want it to look girly, she can do that for you too. Go to taylordigital.com to set up your free consultation today. And that's Taylor, T-A-Y-L-A-R. I didn't name her, her parents did. And now back to the pod. So taking Coach Jack out of the equation, let's talk about some influencers in your life that have you know, shaped you, why they're important, what make them stand out to you. Can you give us one to two more Uh, influencers that uh, really have stood out to you throughout your life? I would probably have to say my mom is definitely a big one. My mom and of course my dad also, but my parents just, my parents were definitely tough with athletics. They did not accept a shitty attitude. They didn't accept, you know, me, any kind of being a brat on the court. Um, I mean, they were the kind of kids for, here's a great example. I remember my senior year of swimming at our county meet. I had been swimming super well and I had in my mind a time that I wanted to get and I didn't get that time at that meet. And I remember looking up at the scoreboard. I took my goggles off and I chucked them up at the, not the scoreboard, the uh, time board. And I chucked them. And then I went over and sat in the corner, felt a little sorry for myself. And then I got up and I started walking and I saw my mom. And I remember, I still remember this feeling. My stomach just dropped because her face looked like I had just done one of the most awful things in the world. And at this point, I didn't even remember throwing my goggles. 
And she came on the pool deck, which parents obviously weren't supposed to be like, well, maybe that's not obvious, but parents aren't supposed to be on the pool deck. And she walked up to me and grabbed me by one of the straps of my swimsuit and said, if I ever see you throw those goggles like that, because you don't get the time you want again, you are done here. And I just shook my head and I said, okay. (laughs) And those were things that happened all the time. I mean, my mom was constantly keeping any kind of a bad attitude I might've had in line. She was who I could talk to about things. She played basketball in college. So she really got it. And she really helped me mentally through a lot of the adversity and any kind of hardships or whatever it may be in athletics. And also my dad too, because my dad was in the military. So he always would compare a lot of things to the military. And while you know, it's always a tough comparison comparing college basketball to the military. There's a lot of things that were very applicable. So lots of long conversations and talks with both of my parents, I think, helped me to maintain a much more level head than I would have if it weren't for those two. But honestly, they're who I think I looked up to the most and look to for guidance. And because they're very much the same kind, like, my parents are like, have always led us by example. So I think that's why that's like drilled into my head to like lead by example and mutually respect anyone. Otherwise you're never going to get them to do what you want. And not in a bad sense, but in sense of like leadership, if you're trying to get your team all on the same page, you have to mutually respect every single person. You need to be loyal to every single person because why would they show you the same if you haven't shown them that? How about a teammate? Is there anybody that really stands out to you that just jumps off the page and was like, wow, this, I loved playing with her. She was an awesome teammate because of this. Is there anybody that stands out? I really enjoyed playing with my, actually my friend who was here last night, um, Kristen Sharkey. She played basketball with me at UB. Um, I remember when we came into basketball our freshman year and a lot of the older girls had really really shitty attitudes and they talked crap about the coaches and we were kind of like you know we're freshmen we would we would like to make our own impressions of what's going on here and that was something that I always respected about her is she would be like man shut up like we don't want to hear it (laughs) whereas I would maybe just be like I'm not going to listen to this but she would be like shut up like I don't want to hear it and she was somebody that we played the same position. Uh, well, a similar position. She was more of a true forward than I was, but I played a little bit of forward. So we were often practicing against each other and we would just go head to head every practice. But I loved, I loved the most about her though, that, I mean, I could have broken her nose in practice. And then after that practice, she wouldn't have cared because it was all a part of practice and there was no hard feelings outside of that. And it was what it was. And I really always respected that about her. And there was one other teammate. Her name was Reagan Ryan. She ended up playing basketball in college as well. I also loved playing for her or playing for her, playing with her um, because she was just a very unselfish teammate. And I think in basketball, it's very easy to be selfish because who doesn't want to score the most points of the game or have, you know, the most rebounds or whatever, any statistically driven attribute. She, she never cared. I mean, she would be excited if she had the most assists because whatever made us win at the end of the day, she would figure it out. And I really liked playing with both of them. I think if I had to pick teammates. Awesome. Thank you 
for sharing all four of those uh, people with us. You've mentioned attitude now a couple times, both experiences that you had with yourself in athletics and just surrounding teammates and situations and different things like that. And, you know, we had your mom shutting it down by <laughs> getting in your face and telling you what's right and what's wrong. Uh, you talked about your teammate and how uh, she would really just shut it down to and take a, a hard edge approach with that. Why do you think that, especially, you know, high school level, I feel like, why do you think attitude is such an issue? And how, how do you think we can, for the leaders, the current leaders that we have, aspiring leaders that are listening to this, how can we address that? And how can we work through like, what are some of the things that you've seen that have worked when dealing with people who have poor attitudes versus some of the things that haven't worked? I think one thing that really affects attitude is entitlement. I think people focus so much often on things they don't have or they're not doing or they can't get or they haven't gotten that they, they forget to focus on what they do have, what they are doing. Like nobody's going to always agree with their coach. It never is going to happen. You're always going to have a different opinion at some point, but guess what? That's your coach. And while you are his or her player and you can express those opinions, you have to obviously remember and always do so respectfully and find the time and the place. But I just think that kids feel so entitled now. Kids feel entitled to playing time. Kids feel entitled to saying things that they are feeling, um, which not that you shouldn't say things you're feeling, but there should be a time and a place for things like that. And mm -hmm. I just think that it's crazy to me uh, how entitled kids are. And I just, I don't really understand, I guess, where that comes from. This is actually something me and um, my teammate Sharky were talking about last night, how kids are so entitled these days. And we just don't, we just don't understand because I mean, when we played basketball, I think we got like two shirts, two pairs of shorts, something like that for the season. And then you could turn your shoes in three times. And like now kids want to have like the best shoes. Well, that, that, that doesn't matter. Focus on what you do have and what's in front of you and what you have control over. Kids often try to just change things that you don't have control over. Like you don't, you're not going to have control over what your equipment person orders for your team or what plays your coaches run. And you can go have a conversation about it, but you have to do so in a respectful way. So think about and worry about what you can control. And I think that that's something a lot of kids miss or haven't maybe even been taught. Yeah. I love that. There's only so much you can control. So take advantage of what you can control and stop worrying about the things that you can't control because there's no other word for it, but it's complaining. <laughs> it, you know, oh, the, there's, there's just nothing you can do about it. So take the things that you can control. And like you said, be respectful about it. Don't be rude. Don't be, you know, mean, bully anybody, you know, whatever it is, you can be respectful and still ask for the things that you're looking for that you think you might need that could help you. And entitlement is definitely an issue that I think a lot of people at the high school level, especially, and probably even at the collegiate level now with some of those millennials getting older and being at that level, a lot of coaches are dealing with that. It's one of the most common challenges that I hear when I'm talking with coaches and with athletic directors and different administrators is 
how do we deal with the entitlement issue? And actually I did a whole podcast on entitlement. So if your teammate is looking for some advice, point her in the direction of my podcast. She can listen to that. That's my, my humble brag, uh, self plug there, but <laughs> it is, it's an issue in a lot of it, you know, and I don't want to give away the whole episode, but a lot of it just has to do everything's so related. We, you know, 10 minutes ago, we're talking about having mutual respect and relationships where, you know, you're both giving and you're taking that human element and really being honest and loyal and transparent with it. And that's the same thing with entitlement. Like entitlement isn't necessarily always a bad thing. There are good things about entitlement because those type of people, they want things like they, they have drive and whatever, but when it gets out of hand, it's those people that like you were talking about, they're just complaining. They don't, they're never satisfied. A lot of times I use Odell Beckham Jr. as a really relevant example of somebody who is definitely entitled and is never happy. He got a $90 million contract from the Giants. And then two months later, he was on national television talking to people about how he wasn't happy in New York. So, you know, that's yeah. that's a, a really high profile example. But, you know, when you're even just talking about high school level student athletes, you know, maybe they think they're not getting enough playing time or whatever it is. And at the end of the day, the entitlement disconnect comes from a lack of communication and from one side, one side or the other, or sometimes both not being willing to communicate and figure out what the actual issue is. They both make assumptions. Like if you're talking, if I'm talking to a coach who's you know 50 years old, they're part of a completely different generation. They were raised in a completely different way. And you're trying to connect with somebody who's 15 years old and wants this, wants that. And if they just make the assumption that they can't connect because they're part of different generations, then it's never going to work. But if you can take a step back, that coach can listen to the player, that player can listen to the coach, they can come to some type of compromise, then you can, you can battle entitlement a little bit more and make it so that it's not such a detriment to a team or to a culture because that's one of those things that can just really tear down any culture uh, at any level in any sport. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with that. And I have to go back and listen to that podcast because I think that I actually have listened to it, but I would be interested to hear about it now that we've had this conversation. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Give it, give a little bit more. (laughs) <laughs> give, give a little bit more relevance to it and, and everything. So yeah. uh, cool. Now, obviously you've had a lot of accomplishments, both athletically and just in your personal life. And when you look back and reflect and you look towards the future, we talk about the word success a lot. What does success mean to you? How would you define it to our listeners? I think that your personal success should be reflective of your fulfillment because I would maybe also throw a a side of happiness in there, but you don't necessarily, there are other things that your happiness can be controlled by, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You could be extremely successful professionally, but you, maybe you have something else going on that, you know, doesn't allow you to be, optimal happiness. But I think, yeah, I think that your success is directly related to your fulfillment and 
whether that's professionally, in your personal life, I think the more fulfillment you are able to feel, then the more successful you are as a person in my eyes. Um, because I don't know, I don't think that there's an, an amount of money or an amount of material things that could ever measure your successfulness. Because I mean, some of the most, you know, and I'm throwing up air quotes over here, successful people in the world, they could have, you know, or that society considers successful. What are they basing that on there? You know, they've, they've helped people or they've made X amount of money, but I think personal success should be based on how fulfilled you feel. So whether that's, you know, in your career, in your home life, any of the above, all of the above. Do you have a way to just piggybacking off of the fulfillment? Cause we talk about that, you know, having been in recruiting in HR I've talked about that with hiring managers and with executives trying to find somebody who's fulfilled in a job, for example. Well, how do you know what that fulfillment is? Like, how do you identify what those things are that can make you fulfilled? I think that especially in a professional setting, you have to be able to feel some sense of fulfillment in like small wins because there's always something unfortunate or that you don't love or that isn't you know very glamorous about everything right so about sports you know injuries are not glamorous riding the bench every once in a while is not glamorous even smaller things like foul trouble is not glamorous you know a technical is not glamorous those are things that you probably don't feel a ton of fulfillment around and then the turn of the hat professionally you don't feel fulfillment around doing something the wrong way or doing something that's not up to standard. But I think you can find fulfillment in things, doing your job well, enjoying your job, leaving work at the end of the day and feeling like you're a part of something, feeling that mutual respect and loyalty that we talked about with your professional career or the people in your company, the people on your team, the leadership of your company, whatever it may be. I think those are things you can definitely find fulfillment in. Whether it's in the industry that you're in, maybe you're doing something philanthropic or maybe you're doing something like we were doing at Terakee, which was SEO based. And you get to help companies do better or sell more of their products. Or um, I think that it can be found in small things, uh, fulfillment, obviously, and also in big things. And I think that when you are at a place, when the good like the feeling of good fulfillment and the good things outweigh the bad. Um, and I think that that balance is definitely unique to everyone because some people will be happy with a 50, 50 maybe, or some people would be happy with a 51 of the good, a 49 of the bad. Some people wouldn't be happy with a 99 of the good and a 1% of the bad. But I think overall, when you are more happy and more fulfilled to be doing something, then I think that that's a good sign that you're on your way to success. But I mean, I think people should have to work to find that, which is something that I think is definitely difficult professionally because you don't always get to, you, you have to pay the bills somehow. So you have to sometimes deal with things that you maybe don't want to and that are not fulfilling and that you wish were not part of your professional career. But I think as long as you're finding more things that are, then that's a good reflection on where you're at. So this show is called Dynamic Leaders. 
And at Talent 409, we define dynamic leaders as people that create opportunities for success on and off the field. So we want those people that are leaders on the field and in competition, but also off the field if they're doing community service, business world, just in their family life, whatever that is. Is there one person that you would consider a dynamic leader that you can talk to us a little bit about? Um, it can be somebody. Uh, it can be somebody that you've already mentioned okay. too. <laughs> I was going to say. I mean, I've talked about a lot of people here. I'm going to probably have to go back to one of them. Um, honestly, I hate to go back to my mom always, but I'm going to have to. <laughs> I definitely think that my mom is a fantastic dynamic leader. And I think one thing that's extremely important of a dynamic leader is that you can be that type of a leader in nearly every situation, every aspect of life. And my mom coached sports. She played sports in college. She is a teacher. She has five brothers and sisters and I just think that she does a phenomenal job of it and she encourages people, um, whether it's family, friends, kids at school, she encourages people to be leaders because I think one thing that's maybe even the most important quality of a leader is being able to share your leadership skills and qualities with people and not necessarily press them on them, but share those and teach people how to be leaders in their own capacity. You know, not everybody is meant to lead Mm -hmm. a basketball team or a group of people professionally or a classroom or whatever it may be, but people should be able to be leaders in some capacity um, and in some walk of life at some point in time. And I think that she does a phenomenal job of bringing those qualities out in people and encouraging people to then express those qualities. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a really great example. And you made a really good point too about people in general, not everybody aspires to be, not everybody is going to get the opportunity to be the manager, be the head coach, be the C-suite executive of their company. But that doesn't mean that you can't still be a leader. And that you can't still impress upon other people some of the traits and attributes and things that are part of dynamic leadership. And I think that's just a really important thing to highlight. And uh, it's it's great. Your mom does seem like a really great person as well. And obviously somebody who's really impacted your life. I got to hook her up with my mom. My mom also had five brothers. So I, I think they'd have a lot in common there. But um <laughs> Awesome. So I want to move on uh, to the last thing here. I don't know. Are we are we breaking news on this? Am I going to be like the next ESPN or Barstool talking about your your next ventures in the business world and different things like that? Are people going to find out about this by listening to my podcast? Actually, yes, they will. Um, obviously, my close friends and family are more aware than I'm sure they even want to be <laughs> of what I'm doing, but. Uh, I have not alerted the masses just yet. Um, so I would be more than happy to, you know, 
bar stool this up a little bit. Let's break some uh, news. Yeah, let's let's talk about it. Tell everybody about you have this exciting new venture, uh, business venture coming into your life. So I won't steal your spotlight. Go ahead, give us uh, the okay. give us the down low on everything. Okay, um, I am opening an infrared sauna studio. I which obviously, Colin, you already know this. I have worked at one for a few years in Syracuse. And since I was in daycare, actually, my uh, life goal was to be the boss. Then <laughs> <laughs> when they asked what I wanted to be when I grew up, when I was younger, I always used to say the boss. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like have a little thing and like it was uh, this little printout and it says the boss, whereas like other kids were like a teacher, a firefighter, a veterinarian, and mine was the boss. So, <laughs> I think a lot of good kicks out of that. But um, yeah, so I'm opening my own infrared sauna studio um, and it's going to be co-owned by me and my fiance, Jordan. It's going to be located in Victor, New York. Um, and we're really excited about this. This has been one hell of a process getting a business up and running. Um, my dad has been a small business owner for most of my life. So I've been fortunate enough to lean on him a lot. Mm -hmm. Jordan, my fiance is a financial advisor. So he's kind of helped with a lot of the nitty gritty business aspects. And then I've kind of provided the creative vision and whatever I've been able to and experience from working at Sonic Cube. So we're shooting to be open January 2nd. Wow. Coming quick. So tell us uh, infrared just for people maybe that have, never experienced that before, haven't been a part of it. Can you give us a little uh, detail into that? Yeah, well, it's definitely appropriate after I've shared my injury sob stories. Um, <laughs> infrared heat is, so an infrared sauna, it uses infrared heat and infrared heat is a penetrative heat. So it actually penetrates your tissues a few inches below your skin surface. So it has a ton of really great healing properties, um, and then a ton of other ancillary benefits. Um, but I actually got into infrared sauna therapy because I have had this ankle problem and, you know, some other aches and pains from working out. And I absolutely loved it. I started working at the studio and it kind of led me down this path that I wanted to open my own. But yeah, there's great weight loss properties. There's anti-aging properties, help with anxiety, depression. Of course, you think sauna, detoxification it can help with your skin. But honestly, it's, it's healing properties and it's rehabilitative properties are what I think are the most profound because anything that can make you feel a little bit better for a relatively low price and feel great while you're sitting in the session and is something that's definitely beneficial in my book. So that's kind of where we're at. And as far as clientele goes, you don't just have to be an athlete. It can be a regular folk that comes into to your place, right? Yes. Yes, of course. This is by no means something that's geared towards athletes. In fact, I would say it's Sonic use. We saw more people who were not necessarily very fit and active or top caliber athletes. You see a lot of, you know, ordinary people who, you know, maybe they have a strenuous job or maybe they have a job where they're, you know, we, I, we had one client who drives a ton and he has a kind of a, some sort of a back problem because he's driving all the time. So he would come in once a week. One woman came in because she has really severe allergies and she found some relief in the sauna therapy for her allergies. I worked with a, a vet that came in from there and he had a problem with his elbow. 
so yeah, it's definitely not by any means. It's not geared towards anyone, honestly. It's geared towards somebody who has some sort of an ache, pain, or ailment, or whatever the case may be, and they're looking to find some reprieve or maybe even just relax and burn some calories while you're at it and kick back and enjoy it. Yeah, no, it's definitely not geared towards athletes. Um, I think it's geared towards anybody who wants to feel better or be better. In the name of your business for people who are wondering? It is called Lumos, L-U-M-O-S, because everybody always asks, Lumos Infrared Sauna Studio. All right. And we're looking at January 2nd as an open date in Victor, New York. That's awesome news, Rachel. Definitely big congratulations to you and Jordan. Uh, I think it's going to be something that you'll really enjoy. And I've been myself to Sonic Use before, so I know what that's all about with everything. So I can definitely say from a personal experience, if you're looking to try it out uh, and you're in the you know central New York area, definitely give it a, a look. Um, and Rachel, if people want to get in touch with you, if they have questions uh, about that, or they just want in general, if they found something in the conversation today that they want to talk to you more about, is there any way that uh, they can get in touch with you that you want to direct them to? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you can always find me on social media. I have a Facebook and an Instagram. Um, you can also find Lumos on there, which I run all the social media. So if that's easier to find, my last name's a little tricky for people. Um, but yeah, they can also always give me a call too, or send me an email. Should I say my email and phone number, Cal? <laughs> we can we can list it uh, if you if you want to do. We we'll just list it in the show notes. Um, yeah, if, if that's something you're comfortable with. So yeah, we'll make sure we, we get all that information for the business in there. And like I said, Rachel, that's super exciting. Uh, really happy for you guys. Glad you were able to, to make that announcement. I'm going to have to tweet at Big Cat and tell him that uh, I'm going to be taking over Barstool uh, sometime soon here. But <laughs> Sign you up for your debut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he'll, I'm sure he'll have some fun with that. But uh, Rachel, it's been awesome getting to catch up and chat with you and have you on here. Uh, like I said, probably the, the most accomplished female uh, athlete that we've had uh, thus far. So uh, really appreciate you taking some time talking to us about your experiences and how you've gotten to where you are now uh, with the business. And uh, we, we wish you the best of luck and, and really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Khan. It's been awesome. And I really love what you're doing with 409, so I'm happy to support in any way that I can. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Rachel. Wow. What an episode that was with Rachel. She's awesome. Very accomplished. We wish her and Jordan the best of luck with their new business venture opening in January of 2019. And with that, this is the last podcast for 2018. Man, can't believe it. It's been an awesome ride since we started back here in August. I can't believe how many people listen. I can't begin to tell you how grateful I am for your listening and for the feedback I've gotten from different folks. It's just been an awesome ride and way better than I ever imagined it was going to be, especially this quick in the process. So thank you for a first great half a year podcasting. 2019, we have some great plans ahead. I think you're really going to like the way we go about this podcast and always open for suggestions on how to make things better and give you guys the content that you want to listen to. So please don't hesitate 
to reach out should you have anything to add. We thank again our sponsors for this show and for Jake Champagne and Brooks Running for providing that jacket to our winner for the contest. That was an awesome contest. We'll try to do another one of those here sometime soon. If you didn't get a chance to get into that one, we'll try and get you into the next one. But again, thank you so much for listening to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast for everyone here at Talent 409. It's been a great 2018. We look forward to 2019.